Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Good morning. Good morning. We are so thankful to have you join us today in worship. And so uh, just a couple of quick things. If you're new and visiting, uh, would like to get connected with our church family. We'd love to uh, give you an opportunity to leave some information. So there's these connect cards. You can fill out the top portion and tear it off. There's some information about our church. Uh, you can find this at the Information Center. And if you're interested in getting connected and serving, uh, we have a lot of opportunities for you to uh, plug in and use your spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ. And so you can also find one of these I Serve Connect cards out in the Information Center as well. So again, thank you all so much for coming to join us. Such a pleasure to be here to worship with you. And um, we're continuing a series on taking on your Goliath. Brother Allen has, uh, over the last couple of weeks, introduced us and we're going to continue this series. The first week, Brother Allen kind of discussed the nature of our Goliath or your Goliath, and we talked about the challenge of your Goliath. And so we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 17, 12 to 16, and you'll join me. We'll read this and then pray as we get started. Today we're going to look at an unlikely hero. 1 Samuel 17. Verse 12. Now David was the son of uh, an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul and advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, the second to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. The Philistine, now remember we're at a, in the Valley of Elah, and the Israelite army and the Philistine army are drawn up in battle array. And so the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days, took his stand and challenged the Israelites, send out a man who can take me on, one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat. And if you conquer me, if he conquers me, then will be your servants, and if I conquer him, you're going to be our servants. And so this was where we're at, and we notice that the Israelite, the Israelites and the army were frozen in fear. And so let's start with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your power and your presence in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that we can boldly uh, face and take on our Goliaths, no matter what kind of fears are brought out in us. We thank you for your power and presence, that you're with us. And Lord, today as we come to you, Lord, we ask that you would speak to our heart. Guide and direct us. Speak to our heart through your spirit. And uh, give us that courage and boldness, Lord, to walk with you. We love you, Lord. We ask that you bless our time today in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Last time I shared a message, I shared a couple of stories from my life growing up, defining moments in my life. Well, today I want to share a couple of stories of my children. 
and I got their permission. So they, they've been given a heads up, and uh, I appreciate these girls and uh, their willingness to allow me to use their uh, story, their struggles. So facing our giant, taking our giants, and we realize that the Israelites were frozen in fear, okay? And there's a couple times in our, my daughter's lives where they were each face certain fears and struggles. Okay, I'm going to start with my youngest, because this was just, uh, just recently, about a year ago. Uh, she loves to tumble, do gymnastics, to cheer. And so she was at uh, her gym one day practicing, and in the midst of a round-off backhand spring tuck, did I get it correct? She broke her finger. This is in your right hand? Right hand. She had to do this. Remember, the one on the left makes an L, so he has a right hand. <laughs> on her right hand. And so it broke one of her fingers. And, um, and so, you know, went to the doctor. They taped it and said, you'll be all right. Suck it up and get tough. That's pretty much what Dad said. And so as it healed, she began to start flipping on it again. And Kinley struggled to throw that same round-off backhand spring tuck combination because the last time she did it, she broke a finger. She was so concerned that if she threw that same combination, she would come down in her hand wrong, and she was afraid that she would break it again or break another finger. And so this went on for about five or six months. Seven months, she said. <laughs> it seemed like a year and a half to her mom and I. <laughs> not going to lie. But her coaches were very patient, and they continued to encourage her, to be there, to support her, and to walk with her through this. And so Kinley, she would work on her round-off tuck. She'd work on her standing tuck. She'd work on her cartwheel tuck. Anything but a round-off back handspring tuck. And so uh, her mom and I, you know, we tried to be encouraging parents. We tried to also threaten her, and it was like, none of it worked. <laughs> but I remember a day. Uh, she'd been working on it, and we'd had some talks at home. It was like, Kinley, you can't let this hold you back. You can't let this continue to hold you back. Okay, you know how to throw a Randolph handspring tuck. You know how to do it. You're, it just comes naturally to your body. You just need to make up your mind. You're going to do it. Face your fear. Just do it. And so her coaches um, were there, and they were spotting her. But I want to give a shout-out to Marty Wynn who laid a $20 bill down at the end of the mat. And he said, this is yours if you will do it on your own. And uh, that was enough incentive for her to do it. So she walked away with Marty's $20 bill, and uh, she continued to this day to continue to throw that and improve her skills. So I'm really proud of her for facing that fear and for overcoming it. It was a struggle. It was a real struggle, wasn't it? Now, my other daughter, uh, my other daughter's Adeline, and this was several years ago, several years ago. Um, the Lord has given Adeline a very vivid imagination, okay? Which is amazing when she uses it while reading or while writing. Uh, she uses her imagination uh, to help, even, even in her drawing. She has a way of just capturing the moment and portraying it, whether it's in sketch or words. And so, um, amazing imagination. However... That imagination can also get the better of her. And um, several years ago, several years ago, um, 
Alyssa took the girls over to her grandmother's pool to swim. <laughs> and um, I think they've been swimming for a while. And, and here's, I think part of it is my fault because when I'm swimming with the girls, I love to play this game of sharks and fish. And, and so, you know, the girls would be on a raft swimming or swimming in water. And so then, you know, daddy shark appears. And, uh, <laughs> and so I wasn't even there swimming with them that day. However, as they were getting out of the pool, uh, I think Alyssa asked Adlin, they were all out except for Adlin, Adlin, will you go get the rafts out of the pool? Okay, just, we can't leave Nana's with the rafts all in the pool. We go get those out, and, and then we'll go. Well, Adlin, um, she refused. She said, there are sharks in Nana's pool. And she was so concerned about, you know, the shadows underneath the raft. She couldn't see there might be a shark underneath there. And... Uh, <laughs> It wasn't funny then, Kinley. It was not funny, I promise you. And so I get a phone call. I wasn't even there. I get a phone call. Adeline thinks there's sharks in the pool. She's unreasonable. Please come help me. And uh, I'm just as hard-headed as Adeline. And so finally, uh, after I'm sure some patient, loving father coaching, she went and got the rafts out of the pool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we kind of drug her physically to get... Uh, it's, it's rough. So Adeline was challenged to face her fear, okay? In her mind, she thought there were sharks in Nana's pool. And we tried to encourage her, you know, it's, it's fresh water, you know, Nana doesn't put sharks in her pool. Um, but it, in her mind, it was a real... Yes, Adeline. Yeah, she was very young, okay? She, she was five years old. So Adeline wanted me to clarify, she was about five years old. So... <laughs> Um, it re she really was. Uh, so, both my daughters, and I'm sure many of us here, have faced various fears and challenges throughout life. You know, whether it's, um, it seems like debt that's suffocating us, and we're not sure how to get out of our situation. Uh, it could be anxiety, or we struggle with depression, okay? Uh, these are some real fears that we struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis. Others, we may feel like we're in a hopeless situation. And we don't see a way out. And so today, we're going to continue looking at uh, the story of taking on your Goliath. We're going to look at an unlikely hero that's found in David. Um, remember, the story picks up today. The Israelite nation is gridlocked with the Philistines. And let's remember, this isn't the first time we've, the Israelites have faced the Philistines. Okay, there's been multiple skirmishes, multiple battles. This has been an ongoing uh, war between the Philistines and the Israelite army. And so we even see in previous encounters, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 45, uh, the king Saul had a son by the name of Jonathan. And we see in earlier battles that Jonathan... Jonathan has been a hero before in fighting the Philistines. And in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 45, But the people said to Saul, Jonathan, because Saul had uh, foolishly told the men, you're not going to eat anything until we win, and 
Jonathan didn't hear that, and he ate something, and so Saul was getting ready to kill his own son from being foolish, not listening. But the people said to Saul, Must Jonathan die, who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Far from it, as the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So we see in previous battles, that's just one example, Jonathan boldly fought and boldly recognized God's sovereignty. And Jonathan uh, was used in many ways. Uh, King Saul. Okay, King Saul was not a spring chicken. He was a seasoned warrior. And he had fought with the Philistines multiple times. And for example, um, I know Brother Allen mentioned originally that King Saul was handsome. That he stood a whole head and shoulders above all the other people. Like of all the people... Israelites who would be probably most likely to take on uh, this Philistine giant. You know, King Saul would be him. He'd be the man because he's taller than most Israelites. And we know that from previous battles that there's obvious that King Saul probably knew about Goliath, had probably fought uh, near Goliath before. And so King Saul was well aware of Goliath. And, you know, we see even King Saul... 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 48. Even King Saul was used mightily to deliver the Israelites. Uh, in fact, it documents that he acted valiantly and defeated the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. So not only was it Philistines, but Amalekites. There were several situations where King Saul led as a warrior. But now he's frozen in fear. And, you know, the reality is that King Saul also struggled to follow God's leadership. And there's multiple situations where he uh, acted foolishly. Uh, he didn't quite follow God's word. And, um, and that's why David was then anointed as the next king. But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, look at David's brothers. Even in 1 Samuel 16, it documents how David's brothers, uh, his oldest three, um, who was Eliab, Abinadad, Shammah, those oldest three, even recognized by Samuel when he went out to anoint the next king, even Samuel looked at him and said, hey, these, these are some good-looking dudes. They must be the next king, you know. And so they went off to fight with Saul. They were probably the three oldest, the bravest, and they were uh, in Saul's army. But Jonathan, Saul, these three brothers of David, all these other Israelite men, they were all seasoned warriors, and yet they were all frozen in fear. And this went on for 40 days. For 40 days, they remained in this defeated position. They were unwilling to even uh, take a step. They were all blinded by fear to the reality of what was going on. And that's where David comes along, this unlikely choice, this unlikely hero. You see, David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. David was the youngest who's been out tending the sheep. And so when David was anointed king, uh, we see a description of him in 1 Samuel 16, verse 12. 1 Samuel 16, verse 12. So Jesse sent, had David brought in from tending the flock, and David was described as being ruddy, or ruddy, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. He's almost like a pretty boy. The word ruddy or ruddy, it refers to um, 
redness, either redheaded or like red flushed cheeks. So think of um, this kind of innocent, big-eyed, flushed cheek, cute boy coming in from tending his father's flock. And you, know, you have these other brothers, and then you have this little, the youngest. And so uh, obviously he wasn't a first choice, but yet this is who God had in mind. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think there's been some misconceptions and confusion about David over the years. See, in all the picture storybooks that I read about um, King David, you always see him as like this little 10 or 12-year-old boy who's been out skipping rocks and tending his father's sheep, and they bring him in, and he slings a stone and takes down a giant. But the reality is he's probably a little bit older than 10 or 12. Um... For example, in 1 Samuel 16, 18, this is when Saul, uh, when David was anointed as the next king, Saul, uh, it describes Saul as God's spirit and presence left Saul because David was anointed king and God's spirit and presence came upon David. And so we see that Saul uh, was irritated, often irritable, he was an evil spirit sent from the Lord, would antagonize him. And so we see that the servants of Saul, uh, they suggest, hey, let's find someone that can, you know, maybe play some music or something to soothe you. And so they, one of them recommended David, and so they brought David in. And so we see that David uh, would go back and forth between Saul and his father. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse 21, uh, it describes David as coming to attend Saul, and Saul loved him greatly, and David became his armor bearer. So David, as an armor bearer, he couldn't be like a little 10 or 12-year-old boy who could barely pick up the big shield or pick up the armor or the spear. Like David would probably stand in the presence of the king with the king's shield um, representing the king's might. Uh, so David probably at this time of this battle, he was probably a young man. And I'm going to say he's probably closer to uh, 15 to 19. Now, he probably wasn't 20. Because Numbers chapter 1 verse 3 says that those who were numbered among the Israelite army were 20 years and older. So there's a really good chance David wasn't 20, but he wasn't a little bitty boy. Uh, he, was, he was probably an upper age teenager. And, um, but he was definitely an unlikely choice because we see in 1 Samuel 17 verse 33. David says, hey... What will they give this young man? What will they give the person who takes on this giant, who faces what everyone in, Israelite, everyone in Israel fears? And, uh, and so when they hear about David asking, David makes the comment, listen, it's just an uncircumcised Philistine. Why should he taunt the armies of the living God? So they, they hear David talking smack, and so they bring him before Saul. Now, David's not a stranger to Saul. He's been back and forth over a period of time. Serving in Saul's presence, going back out, presence going back out to uh, tend the flocks in the field. And Saul, who's a seasoned warrior, he looks at David. He knows David. He says, David, you're not able to take on this giant. 17 verse 33. He said, you're not able to take on this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. You're just a young man, and this giant has been a warrior from his youth. So that term youth, 
probably doesn't mean like a 10 or 12-year-old boy. It probably means that he's just a young man who's inexperienced. And then compared to Goliath, who's a huge, strong beast of a man anyways, with tons of experience, David, what are you thinking? And uh, it's funny, David's response is in chapter 17, verse 35, David says, listen, but I killed a bear, I killed a lion, and I can surely take on this guy, okay? So anybody here ever killed a bear or lion? Maybe at the most with a gun from a distance, right? But like hand on hand, that you're tending the flock, this mountain lion or panther comes up, snatches the lamb, and you run it down. You're beating it with a stick, throwing stones at it. You get a hold of this sucker, and he attacks, and you fight back. I mean, that's, that's pretty intense. And so David's like, listen, the Lord was with me then. The Lord's going to be with me now. So we see in David an unlikely hero. And David was looking at the reality of the situation. You see, David wasn't focused on the physical appearance of Goliath. He wasn't focused on the physical strength of Goliath. David wasn't focused on the physical. David was focused on something more. He was looking beyond the physical in front of him. What was David focused on? What was David focused on? David, 1 Samuel 16, 13. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. You see, back in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon people and use them for a season of time. But now, in this New Covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, God's Spirit resides within us and lives through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have God with us. God doesn't come upon us and then leave us. If you are in Christ, you have Christ in you who is living through you. And David was confident of this. Saul and his army were trusting in their own strength. They were trusting in what they could see, the physical strength, the physical armor. David was confident he could take on Goliath and defeat Goliath because he was aware of God's presence. David was aware of God's power. David was aware that God had delivered him before and God would be with him again. When David is questioned, I love his response. 1 Samuel 17, verses 36 to 37. David said, verse 36, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, this man who doesn't believe in the living God, this uncircumcised Philistine who has defied the living God of Israel, he is cursed with his own lowercase g gods, and he has defied the living God of Israel. And David responds and says, This uncircumcised Philistine, he will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. This Philistine doesn't know who he's messing with. He's messing with the living God. Verse 37, David says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul says, All right, go and may the Lord be with you. So finally, I think Saul starts to see, you know what? 
Here's the reality of it. God is with David. Go, David. May the Lord be with you. And here's the thing. As we face our fears, have you identified your Goliath that's bringing out the spirit that's maybe immobilized you? Have you identified your Goliath? And I want to remind you, as the Lord reminded David, as the Lord reminded Saul and the Israelites, God is with you. You see, the reality of the situation is that David could rest in God's power and presence. Now, does that mean that, you know, that Cheyenne is lazy and he sits around waiting for God to do everything? No. What it means is I can rest knowing that God is moving and working and that it's not dependent upon me. But his Holy Spirit is moving and working among his people. And that this is the Lord's business. And I'm, I can trust in the Lord because this is his. And he will move and work and he will deliver and he will uh, provide solutions. David could rest in knowing that God was with him. You can rest in knowing that God is with you. This is the Lord's battle. And as you face your fear... This is the Lord's battle. Think about this. There's kind of a parallel here that I want to point out. David was a man who acted in the power of God to deliver the Israelites from fear and oppression. There's another unlikely hero who come along that people didn't suspect. His name is Jesus. Jesus an unlikely hero. He was not the Messiah that the Jews were looking for and anticipating. In fact, Jesus is God who acted on behalf of men that he might deliver them from fear and oppression. What is one of the greatest fears that we know? What is one of the greatest fears that we know? Anybody ever admit that there's been times where they thought about and been afraid of death? Anybody be willing to admit you've thought about that kind of stuff? I remember as a teenager, uh, this is, I knew a lot about God, but I, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I did some things that put myself in danger that maybe uh, threatened uh, the safety of some of my friends. And I, there's more than once. I would come home uh, after making some dumb decisions, putting myself or my friends in a bad situation, and we could have been killed. And I remember thinking, Lord, because my parents had taught me to pray my whole life. They'd always came and pray with me, so I had this habit of praying. And so I, even when I was... Uh, living for myself, I didn't know Christ personally, I still was, had this habit of praying every night before going to bed. And I, I remember praying, Lord, what if I died? And apart from Christ, all I could imagine, all I could imagine was this uh, darkness, this eternal separation from God. Is, is like a, a, 
a forever falling feeling. And what God was doing is he was using this to reveal to me my need for him, that I was not his child and that I, without Christ, I was I was lost and, and without God, I had no hope. And so God was using this and, and it basically created kind of a fear of death. It really did. It created kind of a fear of death in my life. And um, it, it kind of drove me to start reading the Bible, to start searching for myself, trying to figure out, you know, what is really going on? What, you know, is there any truth to Jesus Christ? Or is there any reality to what the Bible teaches? Is, is there more to it than just knowing about God? Is, it, is there a relationship? And so I started doing a lot of research and thinking and reading for myself. And I met some friends in college who took me under their wing and, and revealed to me God's love and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, uh, just as they encouraged me, it's all about a relationship. It's not enough to just know that God exists, but it's a relationship with the living God. And when you have a relationship with the living God, by faith, when you trust in Him, you can face so many different fears and obstacles. You know, even going up to the public schools. Um, you know, I struggle, you know, sometimes with going up and eating lunch with kids because I was never cool growing up, okay? I was a country farm boy, um, kind of shy. And so even when you go up to school, I'm not going to lie, some of you high school students intimidate me. Okay, you're just at a level of awesomeness that I've never been at my whole life. And so, <laughs> like, sometimes I let that fear of they won't, you know, they won't talk to me or nobody, wanna, no, nobody wants me to come and sit down and hang out with them at school. I'm just that awkward 40-year-old youth pastor, okay? And so sometimes I let those things in my mind mess with my head. And then, you know, I finally like, okay, Lord, I'll just... I really feel like I need to go up there. And then when I get up there and there's a kid that greets me with a smile on her face and says, hey, Cheyenne, so glad you're here today. I'm having a rough day. You know, it makes it, when I finally understand the reality of the situation, I look past the physical and my own fears and wants and desires, and I finally recognize, you know what? This is what's really going on, okay? A lot of times that fear that was holding me back wasn't as big a deal as I thought it was at first. Now I realize there's some real fears and there's some real Goliaths out there that we're struggling with. I understand that. And I want to encourage you, identify. Identify the Goliath in your life and be willing with God's presence and power to take on this Goliath. We're going to close with a few scriptures. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to back up and read a few more verses than what I included, guys. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He says, Brethren, 
that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Verse 54. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And Paul continues, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, is that good news to anybody? Okay, I'm going to read verse 57 again. Okay, and I just want you to respond as the Lord leads you. Okay? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The same Lord who is with David, the same Lord who is with you, He gives us victory through Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. You can boldly face your fears. You can boldly take on the giants in your life. You don't have to be frozen by fear. Don't allow fear to immobilize you or, or hold you in bondage so you're unable to move forward. And I want to encourage you with this. We're all family here. We're all family. And here's the encouragement that I've learned over the years. When I face a struggle in my life, I am not alone. I promise you in a room like this, there are so many others who have faced similar struggles, who have faced similar fears. And there's so many others who have walked through that and they've experienced God's power and presence and deliverance. We can rest in God and we can lean on each other. And so I want to encourage you Share with others how God has delivered you. Share with others and be there for each other. We're a family. And you know, in verse 28 of Matthew, Jesus, right before he sent into heaven, Jesus left some reassuring words to his disciples. He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. He is always with us. And I'm going to close with Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. Paul writes to reassure the church. 
What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Church, if God is for us, who can be against us? Think of the context of Paul writing. He's writing to the church at Rome who has faced persecution. Brothers and sisters in Christ who have been tortured for their faith, who have been thrown in jail, pulled from their families, punished for believing in Jesus. He says, Paul writes, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it's written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. Paul continues. Paul, who is beaten, stoned, slaved, whipped. Paul says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The reality of the situation is we can boldly face and take on our Goliath because God is with us. And just as he has delivered in the past, he will be with us through it. He will walk with us and help us to the very end. God loves you. And as a family, we can be there and encourage one another. So as we close, I invite you to stand uh, to join us uh, as Cody leads. And I just want to encourage you, if there's a Goliath in your life, or maybe you know of a, a family member or a friend who's really struggling, just because uh, you decide to, to kneel down and pray in your seat or to come forward in prayer, you know, we'll have some individuals up here be willing to pray with you. But just because you pray doesn't mean you've got an issue in your life. It means your heart is burdened for someone and you're willing to Take it to God and ask him to help you, to deliver you, to be with you through it. So I invite you in this time, as we close in worship, to come and just be real with God and pray for your situation and pray for someone you know. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.